The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO, NorthSouthConnection.com. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Come on, come on. It, we call it the, uh, the place, the place to be. Yeah, then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Nation. Welcome back to the great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rosero. Coming to you live from the PTBN studios. Joining me, as always, is my PIC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? I am well, JR. Hello, friends and family. Welcome to episode 627 of the longest-running episodic on the fucking gold standard. Uh, how are you, sir? How's it going? Everything good? Everything yep, yep. Busy well? as always, but, you know, yes. churning it out. Churning out the... Playing basketball, you know, softball season's back up and running, and of course, uh, podcast season never ends here. We're no, podcast blowing through the content hours. on all of our networks, video, audio, yes. all the yep. shit. Awesome, get yes, awards, indeed. taking awards home, taking awards, all that stuff. Uh, joining us tonight, though, is a co-host of mine from another podcast over on the North South Connection. You can catch us every other Thursday, audio and visual formats and that's my buddy from WD war is also the co-host of the final wrestling place podcast as well the soon to be named network and that is my good buddy mr marcus fuller marcus how are you gentlemen thank you for having me it is uh i'm, I'm good it is always an honor and a privilege to be aboard the mothership so thank you for having me good to have you marcus as always of course, of course, and uh, kind of in your wheelhouse, my friend, talking 2009 oh, yeah. WWE. <laughs> <laughs> He's fired up like a Mike Rotundo abdominal stretch here, ready to rock. Sweaty, uh, too. <laughs> talk, yeah. talk mid-09, but before we get there, you're going to have to hold on just a little longer because we're going to head back 14 years to 1995, Scott. It's going to tell us all about what was going on in the world of wrestling in this very week. Yes, so... <clears throat> seem excuse me seem very fitting uh our last episode uh with keithy uh there was no wwe but there was wcw this uh, week we are in reverse so we're gonna go back to june 28th 
1995, and WWF is doing a challenge taping at the uh, the Wilkes University Marts Center in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So, of course, 1995, a lot of small little tiny joints because that was 1995 WWF at the time. So we had some challenge tapings, uh, really nothing in the way of promo cutting. Um, Savio, Aldo Montoya, and Phil Apollo. I mean, how, how can you go wrong? Um, you had some uh, Luger, Davy Boy, Davy Boy against uh, Owen and Yoko. <laughs> some tied some title matches. Uh, smoking Guns against uh, Jarrett and the Roadie. Had some stuff there. Uh, Diesel and Psycho Sid. In, uh, oh. Uh, with a boot to the face. There you go. There's a challenge show for the uh, masses. Uh, Hakushi against Russ Greenberg. Rad Radford, Jeff Hardy. Oh, Jeff Hardy. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, wow. <laughs> what a difference 14 years makes. <laughs> right? Yeah. What we're doing with Jeff Hardy tonight and 14 years ago, he jobbed to Rad Radford. So <laughs> interesting. Um, Duke the Dumpster. Duke Drosy pinning Mike Bell. Uh yeah, some other interesting stuff. Barry Horowitz pins. Oh, is this the big one? The July 9th, 95 challenge is yeah, Barry Horowitz be. pinning Skip. Yep. Yep. It's a big moment there. Speaking of Rad Radford, we just uh, recently covered the passing of Luis Piccoli on the Extreme Three Way Dance. Yes. Every other uh, Thursday as well on North South Connection. Myself, Jenny, and Matt Souza going through the history of ECW, but we just talked about that. We're in early 98 when uh, Spicoli passed away, sadly. Yes, yeah, it was very sad, of course, the the fears of muscle relaxers and such. But there he, the highlight of his career, he beat Jeff Hardy. So there you go. Um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley would pin Barry Horowitz uh, two weeks later on, Super, on a challenge. Uh, Skip would attack Horowitz after as we get the build to, uh, I guess, In Your House 2, mm-hmm. um, which was what, the 23rd, I guess, of 95? Because there's a, yeah, I think it was July 23rd. There is an episode of Challenge on that day anyway. So, uh, so yeah, so we're past King of the Ring, uh, mercifully, and <laughs> and heading towards uh, In Your House 2 uh, in Nashville. So uh, that's about it. So no WCW on this day, and WWF had a uh, challenge taping in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Uh, one guy who probably never has been to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania is Herb. So let's light him up for some notes, JR. All right, we got three batches of uh, Herb Coons tidbits tonight. Going to start with June 9th, 1995, one week after the dismal debut of Tector Team 2000. Renegade debuted in the ring on Saturday night. What annoys me about these things is the way the commentators showed no self-respect in hyping these guys. Doc Hendricks says Troy and Trevor are what the new generation's all about. Bobby Heenan says he's never seen anything like this before, while Tony Schiavone tries to put over Renegade. It's just depressing. Hmm. WF's WrestleMania special on NBC did not take place after all. The WF has sent out postcards promoting King of the Ring on June 25th. Of course, they did to remind those impulse buyers and casual fans as a show the week after WCW's. The card subtitles The King of the Ring Guts and Glory offers no lineup other than mentioning there will be a tournament. It slips in that the price is $27.50. The WF has a very weak heel side, a problem with the North American mindset of face versus heel. We've got new heels like Waylon Mercy, Skip Body Donna, and even possibly Dustin Rose under a new name. There's also talk Razor Ramon could turn as well. Uh, he goes through a long-winded anecdote with his mom. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, WCW's Great American Bash on June 18th. Tentative lineup. No Hulk Hogan wrestling, but he could appear on the main event. Randy Savage versus Ric Flair. 
Blue Bloods versus Nasty Boys for the tag titles. Sting versus Ming for the U.S. title. Diamond Dallas Page versus Dave Sullivan. Jim Duggan versus Kamala. Arn Anderson versus Renegade for the TV title. Craig Pittman versus Marcus Bagwell. Brian Pillman versus Alex Wright. And an altercation is likely to happen between Hogan and Vader to hype their next match. JF is King of the Ring on June 25th. The lineup has Sid and Tatanka versus Bigelow and Diesel. Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler with the loser kiss of the winner's feet. And the tournament is Mabel versus Undertaker, Shawn Michaels versus Kama, Bob Holly versus Rhodey, and Razor Ramon versus an undetermined opponent. The next UFC is July 14th. The next WCW pay-per-view is July 16th, taking place on the beach with free admission. Hulk Hogan versus Vader in a cage, and Orndorff versus either Arn Anderson or Renegade for the TV title. Uh, we also have the WCW taped pay-per-view on August 4th, matches from New Japan's trip to Korea. Uh, the show will be cheaply priced at $12.95, including Anoki versus Flair, the Sanders versus Hase and Sasaki, Hawk versus Yasuda, Nakano versus Hokuto, Norton and Chono versus Nagami and Izuka, Pegasus versus Scorpio, Samurai versus Black Cat, and Iro Sarito, uh, Saito versus Yuji Nagata. SummerSlam on August 28th. WCW is going to have a UFC style pay per view on September 1st. I don't know about that. And then uh, it gives the final installment of the big Jim Cornette interview that we've been tracking since our last episode. Uh, Marcus, any quick thoughts on that batch? Pretty um, basic stuff. I think Vader and Paul Orndorff might have a <laughs> UFC-style <laughs> pay-per-view coming up, but um, I was kind of local to Philly at the time. <laughs> uh, I was local to Philly at the time for that King of the Ring build in 95, and I remember just like a lot of heavy like flyering, um, mm-hmm. pamphlets everywhere outside of Philly for King of the Ring. Almost too much. I think it like turned my parents off to like possibly going where they were like, all right, like they're pushing us too hard. Like it's probably not going to be good. And yeah, they were, they were right. So, um, but yeah, nothing, nothing really to speak of. Um, I think all, all that new talent was kind of interesting that he listed. Um, I think anytime you debut or have plans to bring in a whole bunch of talent, you just hope that somebody sticks. And while a lot of the, the town, I think in 95, um like techno team 2000 and such didn't really stick um they bring in some talent from wcw that does stick uh so that's a kind of interesting note there all right let's fast forward a week to june 16th herb apologizes uh this is a little choppy the students wrote their midterm yesterday and i've just finished marking them so i'm a little bit out of it also to be no tidbits for the first week of july they'll be in vancouver and an idea being credited to ted turner wcw will be again airing a new tv show in early august on Turner's TNT, direct opposition against Raw. WCW is a Great American Bash on Sunday. Uh, pretty much the same thing. Duggan versus Kamala is already to see the light of day, so it's been uh, tentative and probably not going to happen. King of the Ring uh, just added Yokozuna in against Razor at the bottom. Otherwise, all the same. UFC is the same. WCW next pay-per-view on the beach. He's added Flair versus Savage, and then a triangular match between the Nasty Boys, Blue Bloods, and Harlem Heat for the tag titles. Uh, collision in Korea. We have SummerSlam on the 27th, WCW's UFC style on September 1st, and that's it. So, pretty weak batch there. Uh, let's check out our last one from June 22nd. Grand American Bash took place this past Sunday with the fear of a low buy rate looming. The company resorted to having Hulk Hogan appear during a live pregame show and spent a fair bit of the pregame hyping Vader versus Hogan feud, which will have a blow off at Bash at the Beach. They went on to so far to say that. Vader and Hogan may not be able to wait for the next show to end their feud. 
It was cheesy and cheap, but not as bad as some ploys we've seen in recent years. The Bash pay-per-view was highlighted by a pretty good match between Alex Wright and Brian Pillman, although Alex winning the match left one wondering a little. Just as you think how bad Renegade for Sarn Anderson was, just think about the WF TV, TV taping dark matches, Waylon Mercy versus Tector Team Troy. In my opinion, that sounds even worse on paper. WF <laughs> has King of the Ring this Sunday. He runs down the lineup. There's a lot of talk that many of the key performers may still be suffering from nagging injuries and miss the show. This lineup will likely suffer some shuffling or the audience will suffer some really poor matches. Injuries included Diesel, bone chip surgery in his elbow resulted in an infection. Tatanka, nagging knee trouble. Razor Ramon, bruised ribs. Owen Hart, concussion. Rhodey, infection in the knee. And 123 Kid, a concussion. The rumors that Shawn Michaels, the expected winner of the tourney and probably shining star of the show, will not win. Speculation has either Mabel, Rhodey, or Yokozuna taking the crown. Before you laugh at the ludicrous idea of pushing the roadie as the winner of the tournament, the eventual storyline will be that Jeff Jarrett's successful singing career, which we'll hear him sing it in your house, will be built on the voice of the roadie, leading to a feud between the two. Somehow, given the roadie a push, will make his challenge Jarrett seem more believable. WCW's new occasionally live show will start on Ted Turner's TNT channel on August 7th. As mentioned last week, the idea for the show is indeed being credited to Turner himself, with most saying he revels a chance to go head-to-head with Raw. There's some choice uh, cause for hope, that those that dislike this direction WCA was taken, the show's success could likely make or break Eric Bischoff. The Observer had a reasonably long column about the ECW's current situation, talking about losing the potential of Chris Benoit and Shane Douglas. They apparently said serious financial woes the company's been suffering of late. With the exception of a few shows at the ECW arena, the group has yet to draw 1,000 paid, although Gordon and Heyman both downplay that aspect, though in the periphery of the promotion, talk about the group having lost a considerable amount of money with no turnaround in sight, pointing to debt as proof. So interesting there that we're already talking financial troubles for ECW pretty far back. Uh, next UFC is on July 14th. WCW Bash of the Beach on the 16th. He's added Sting versus Ming, Orndorff versus Renegade, Diamond Dallas Page versus Sullivan, Duggan versus Kamala. And here's all you're hoping the last two matches were dumped in the booking wastebasket. No chance. In your house on July 23rd, tentatively has Diesel versus Sid. It's got the collision in Korea, SummerSlam on the 27th, UFC pay-per-view, WCW UFC pay-per-view on September 1st, still there. And that is that. Uh, any thoughts on the last couple of batches? No, nothing for me. Yeah. It's weird how this time of the year there was, everything was fairly cut and dry. The injury thing was interesting that because it was, pr- it was pretty much true. It seemed like everybody was banged up, uh, which might have led to what caused the booking for King of the Ring, maybe, probably not. But I'm trying to be, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of something, some other reason why they booked the way they did for that show. But uh, yeah, no, the the injury thing is interesting. That because WWF at the time, the roster couldn't afford to have too many injuries because there wasn't much there. So tough. Well, you can't take the booking of that show personal, Scott. It's just it's one of those one days. Of just like it was for Monica this week well, in 1995, the number two song in the nation. Days. Don't take it personal. Briggs is just Scott Piscolo's Vintage Retro Pop Culture Thank you, uh, JR. So we will go now to uh, our Billboard uh, charts for the week ending July 1st, 1995. Brian Adams, still number one. I'm really, I didn't realize how good that song really was in 1995. 
Uh, this is so weird. There is not one, not two, not even three, four songs in the top ten this week that have two titles with a with a with a with a, with a, a sp- you know a thing in the middle, a split, you know, a hyphen. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't take it personal. Is on actually in parentheses, but same thing. Then your boy uh, Jr. at number three, little Biggie action with one more mm. chance slash stay with me slash. Nikki French's total eclipse of the heart at four. Oh, uh, is that a, a favorite of yours? That's all. Uh, totally. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, not as good as the original. Well, of course. Uh, the next one, uh, Scream slash Childhood by Michael and Janet at number five. Of course, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. Water Runs Dry by Boys to Men at six. Water Falls by <laughs> by TLC at seven, which is a tremendous song. Actually, both of them are. Uh, I'll be there for you. Slash, You're All I Need by Method Man and Mary J. Blige at 8. Freak Like Me at 9. And This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan at 10. So kind of the same songs over the last uh, three months on the Billboard charts. So we will go from the uh, radio to the movies and see what was going on uh, the weekend of June 30th, 1995. Uh, the movies a few weeks ago were a little flat. Decent movies in this top 10, though. At number 10, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, making $89 million. Braveheart at 9, uh, still going strong after six weeks. Casper at 8, uh, Bridges of Madison County at 7. Uh, Congo, which was number one uh, on our show two weeks ago, JR, down to 6. Uh, three movies premiered on this, uh, on this Friday night or this weekend. This top five is very interesting, though. Very up and down. At number five, Judge Dredd, uh, of course, with uh, Sly, um, not the best not the best version of Judge Dredd. There'd be a better Dredd years later. At number four, making its debut, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Oh. Yeah. Uh, of course, that was a big show at the time. At number three, two weeks, uh, a movie that I think gets unfairly slammed. Uh, mostly because people people uh, couple it with the next one that came out, which was terrible. Batman Forever. With, of course, uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jim Great Carrey one. as the Riddler. And uh, Val Kilmer <laughs> as Batman. Wait, what? Oh, I didn't hear that. Um, no, I, yeah, I, I love that. That's a great Batman. That's oh, good. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a good one. It's the next one that's uh, that's that's mm-hmm. absolutely dreadful, but we'll get to that one down the line. Uh, but that's a good one. And and really, all, the only bad part of that movie is the Val Kilmer, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman dynamic is a little shaky. At number two, uh, one of Disney's best movies of the decade, Pocahontas, number two. And the number one movie of the weekend making its debut is Tom Hanks' shot for an unprecedented third straight best Oscar win a best actor win at the Oscars. He won it, of course, for Philadelphia. Then he won it for Forrest Gump. And then Apollo 13, which came out on this week, which is a great movie. Uh, he does not win best picture, uh, best actor for that because that, that cast was so loaded. I think he kind of got mixed in the shuffle and uh, didn't stand out as much as he did in the other two. In any event, those are your uh, top movies for uh, the week. June 30th, 1995. And finally, a quick look at baseball on this date, uh, who played on 
June uh, 29th, 19, I'm sorry, June 28th, 1995. Uh, all the team, uh, your team, Marcus? New York Yankees. Oh, sad bastards. No. Love it or uh, leave it. Well, <laughs> love it or leave it. Uh, yes, the Yankees on this day uh, lost to the Detroit Tigers 8-4. Uh, Mets beat the Marlins 8-2-3. The standings to this point, uh, the Red Sox uh, still lead the division by five over the – everybody was under 500 except the Red Sox in the AL East. The Yankees were in third place at 26-30, and 30, six and a half back. Cleveland still had the best record, 39-17, and 17, eight and a half ahead of Kansas City. Uh, Texas was leading the West by a game over uh, California and two and a half over Oakland. Seattle was 500, and they were in last. Philly led the East by three over the Braves. Uh, Cincinnati led the Central by five over the Astros uh, and seven and a half over the Cubs. And Colorado led the West by a half game over the Dodgers and one over the Padres, a very tight race in the NL West. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, the uh, New Jersey Devils and the uh, Houston Rockets won their respective championships, so those seasons are over. And that is it, JR, for your Pop Culture Corner. All right. It's a moment Marcus has been waiting for. We're going to fast forward 14 years because it is time to talk WWE The Bash 2009. It's a place on June 28th from the Arco Arena in Sacramento, 11,946, 178,000 buys. The second and final edition of The Bash, California's 22nd pay-per-view all-time, the third in Sacramento, Marcus. Any guesses at the previous two? That would be Royal Rumble 1993, mm-hmm. and that would be Judgment Day 2001. Correct. Right. A little uh, war flavor to both those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, June 8th, Umaga was released. Scott, we talked about this on our last episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he was uh, released the day after our last pay-per-view that we covered due to failing the drug test and then um, subsequently passed away not too long after. On that same day on Raw, Vicky Guerrero announced that she was resigning as general manager. On June 10th at a house show in Helsinki, Finland. It was the first in that city in four years. <laughs> On the June 15th, Raw was a special three-hour edition. Vince McMahon appeared, announced he had sold the show to somebody he had a long history with. And the new owner was... <laughs> yep. Uh... <laughs> Old president himself, Donald Trump, announced that next week's Raw would be commercial-free. The show was also billed as three-for-all, as all three world championships were defended. On June 19th, Candice Michelle and Sim Snuka were released. Yes, Sim Snuka still hung around. <laughs> On June 21st, Raw aired commercial free for the first time in history. We see various segments of Vince humiliating, uh, suffering humiliating moments like his limo breaking down and having a small office. Trump announced he'd be no more general manager for Raw. He'd be a special guest host every week. And Vince would come out and after some back and forth, ended up buying Raw back from Trump for double what Trump had paid the week before. So. Uh, smooth business deal right on par with Bobby Heenan. Uh, maybe <laughs> yeah. opposite of Bobby Heenan with Andre the Giant when he actually yeah. made the money. More on the DiBiase side of that deal is Vince. Yeah. Uh, June 28th, MVP appeared with Sherry Shepard at the BET Awards in LA. If you recall. Oh, yeah. A little dalliance the two of them had, if you remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Flirtatious uh, relationship between the two. My man. All right. Our dark match featured R Truth and Shelton Benjamin. 
And then we head into the show, a very intense opening video. Michael Cole and the King welcome us into Arco and set up the night ahead, which kicks off with a scramble match for the ECW title. I was surprised, Scott, to see a scramble back on the card. Uh, I thought we were kind of one and done with those at Unforgiven, but here we are. Uh, why don't you run down what led us to this? Yes, uh, you're right. Uh, we, of course, uh, had the scrambles at, uh, un, at Unforgiven 2008, just, uh, you know, previous eight months or so ago. Uh, your participants, the ECW champion, Tommy Dreamer, Christian, Jack Swagger, Finley, and Mark Henry. Uh, on the 6-9 ECW, Dreamer cut a promo thanking the fans for their support and signed his new contract until Christian interrupted. And he said that Swagger cost him the title, though he would end up shaking Dreamer's hand. Swagger came out and demanded Dreamer forfeit the title and quit before it was too late. And Dreamer and Christian would clear Swagger from the ring, only for Christian to put Dreamer through a table with a powerbomb. Dreamer and Christian were set to team up later that night, only for Dreamer to be laid out backstage. And Swagger would team with Christian as they lost to the Hart Dynasty. There they are again. And Christian was triple teamed until Dreamer made the save with a kendo stick. On the 615 Raw, Dreamer and Christian would have an ECW title match. Dreamer would win. The following night on the 616 ECW, it was revealed that Finley had attacked Christian the previous week due to having his eye injured when he tried to break up a fight between Christian and Dreamer a few weeks ago. And later that night, Swagger defeated Dreamer in a non-title match, and Finley would attack Dreamer and Christian after the match with the Shillelagh. On the 618 Superstars, uh, Christian team with the Colognes to defeat Swagger and the Hart Dynasty in a six-man tag. As it was announced, Dreamer would face Christian, Swagger, Finley, and Henry in a scramble at the pay-per-view. And on the 623 ECW, Henry and Swagger defeated Christian and Dreamer in a tag as Henry laid all three men out after the match. All right. Christian heads out. Josh Matthews and Matt Stryker set us up. Jack Swagger's next. We get going with our top ECW guys that have pretty much carried things through 09. Swagger overpowers early, throws Christian around and grinds on the mat. Christian comes back, evades the grasp, and gets a sleeper. Swagger uses his size and amateur skills to take over. Finley comes out next. He starts throwing bombs right away. Stryker talks about old-school Irish Westies as Finley stomps the shit out of both guys. Christian comes back with a back elbow. Swagger drags him outside and swings him into the barricade. Swagger comes in and goes to the injured eye of Finley, rolls him up, and becomes the new ECW champion. Swagger goes on the defensive. Christian amps up the pace. The ringside doctor's checking Finley's eye as Christian tries to pick up a pin on Swagger. Swagger hits a rock bottom as Dreamer comes out to a pop, cuts through both guys with a flurry. Swagger eventually clubs him down, dumps him outside into the table. Swagger grabs Finley from the doctor, but it backfires as Finley grabs a Celtic cross and picks up the belt. All four guys trade blows as Mark Henry comes out last and power bombs Christian off the middle rope. Swagger comes into him with Dreamer. That was a cool spot. Henry press slams Christian to the floor. He catches Tommy coming off the top, hits a world's strongest slam, and wins the belt with four minutes to go. Everyone tries to pile on Henry, but he fights them all off. We all end up outside and get a senton from Dreamer off the apron and a big dive off the top from Christian. Henry teases going up, but Swagger takes out his knee and hits a Vader bomb to win the title with 225 left. Henry batters on Swagger, but Dreamer and Finley double him up and throw him into the stairs. Christian hits a kill switch on Swagger, but Tommy comes in and gets a DDT to pin Christian to win his belt back. That leads to a flurry of near falls and saves. We get a wild scrum until the bell as Tommy Dreamer retains. A pretty fine scramble. Nothing that pops off the screen, but the pacing of flow was fine. The crowd was into it. Good enough to open the show. Some excitement. ECW's got this nice mix of veterans and youth. And I like the Dreamer story. It's still kind of going on. Uh, he's doing everything he can to keep his beloved gold. 
and keep his career moving. Uh, so in two and three quarters, Scott, again, just like last month of us is pretty much on par as a very solid opener. Uh, I really enjoyed this match. I gave it two and a half. It was fun. It was a fun little, little throw around. Uh, you know, I like the fact, I mean, we talked about scrambles and stuff, but I feel like, uh, you know, this was a good scenario for a, for a scramble, you know, ECW is kind of, you know, mishmashing with different kinds of guys. We keep mentioning the heart dynasty, which we haven't really, you know, talked about, which we'll get to when, when they hit the main roster a couple of months, I think. Um, this was fine. I, I'm happy Tommy kept it because I felt like he was one of those one month ponies and then we'd give it back to Christian or Swagger or somebody. Um, but overall, I thought it was fine, Marcus. Uh, you know, you had five guys that kind of, you know, are all mashers and except for maybe Christian. And uh, I thought it worked out well. Crowd seemed into it. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it a good bit. I went uh, three. It got a little extra bump there because uh, it's Scott Christian, uh, and he's always going to get a little bit extra for me. Um, yeah, everybody was set up well. Like everybody was was put in a position to succeed. Um, Swagger was was in there to get some more experience with Christian. Christian was the uh, the anchor of the whole match, and um, yeah, everybody else. Like as far as the entries went, and uh, you know the the rest of the match length, everybody was just set up really well. I thought, and it was it was a fine open. And uh, I'm always happy to see uh, the return of an Adam Lee original. Mm. True. I miss Adam Lee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Teddy Long is in his office. Edge comes in and talks to Teddy about being on probation. He has to be added to the world title match for Teddy ain't having it. Edge says he beat uh, Jeff Hardy on SmackDown. It's a crime. He's healthy and not on pay-per-view. Teddy says he should have thought about that before divorcing Vicky. Maybe she could have helped him. And Edge threatens to cost Teddy his job. And that brings us right into the final of our trilogy, Scott. Our red-hot feud between Rey Mysterio and Chris Jericho. Mm -hmm. The mask officially on the line this time. Not just kind of Jericho's talking points. But how do we get to our third match? Uh, well, let me tell you. As I mentioned, Jericho loses the match. He must unmask. On the 612 SmackDown, Jericho cut a promo saying he proved that Mysterio was a fraud and vowed to do the same to CM Punk, though he would lose a non-title match to Punk. On the 615 Raw, Jericho cut a promo saying that Raw was worse off without him and he would defeat Mysterio in a rematch when he pulled Mysterio's mask around. On the 619 SmackDown, Mysterio would cost Jericho a match against Jeff Hardy and later that night, Mysterio would demand a rematch with Jericho who accepted only if Mysterio put his mask on the line and Jericho would then cost Mysterio a match against Punk. On the 622 Raw, Mysterio teamed with Hardy and the Great Khali to defeat Jericho Edge and Dolph Ziggler in a six-man tag. On the 626 SmackDown, Jericho cut a promo on the match at the pay-per-view, and in the main event, Jericho and Edge, they seem to work well together, don't they? Defeated Mysterio and Hardy in a tag mm -hmm. cage match. So we have two for two with these two, JR, and uh, uh, here we go. One more time. Ray's out, mask on the line. J.R. Grish reset. Talk about Ray's history with the mask. Jericho saunters out with his icy title. Another great feud under his belt. Jericho cranks his side headlock, plants Ray to start. Ray comes back with a Rana, tries a baseball slide, but Jericho catches him, swings him into the barricade. Back inside, Jericho starts to work the neck as Grisham and J.R. have a good talk about if the mask has now become a distraction for Ray. Jericho hooks a chin lock. He clubs on the neck. Ray elbows free. It's a seated senton off the top. Jericho counters with a dive into a stiff backbreaker for two. He's relentless. Keeps bringing the heat with snap offense, going for covers in between putting pressure on the neck. Ray knocks Jericho outside, meets him with a seated senton off the top. Ray gets two on a high cross body. Back inside, starts to amp up the speed. Gets a nasty springboard moonsault that cracks Jericho hard in the face. Jericho catches Ray on a springboard, gets a power slam for two. 
Ray comes back with a moonsault press for two, but Jericho counters Arana into a walls. Ray gets the ropes as the crowd is starting to tilt away from him a bit. Jericho dodges a 619, hits a lariat, but Ray rattles him back with a kick. Jericho counters the top rope Rana into a powerbomb for two. Ray dodges a lion's hall, gets two on a Rana cradle, tries the 619, but Jericho counters. Ray slips out of a backbreaker into a DDT for two. Jericho hits a code breaker off a springboard, but is slow to cover and only gets two. Ray knocks Jericho off the top, drop kicks him into the ropes and gets a 619, tries a sw- springing Rana, but Jericho catches him into the walls. Ray wriggles free and tries a sunset flip, but Jericho sits down into a quick flurry of reversals. Jericho kicks out of a sunset flip and pulls off the mask again on the way over, but we see this time Ray has a second mask under it. Jericho's confused. He turns into an enziguri. Ray hits a 619 and springboard splash to win the Intercontinental title in an amazing finish. I did zero justice in explaining how smooth it was. An insane match. The pace was amazing. It never slowed down. Constant back and forth. The vibe from the crowd was great. It felt like a real fight with aerial stuff mixed in. A lot of good counters from previous stuff to show that they've learned. Just a masterpiece of long-term match storytelling by two of the greatest of all time. Classic ending to an all-time feud. Perfect finish. Paid off the match story wonderfully. Marcus, this was immaculate stuff. Four and a half for me. Yeah, for me, I think wrestling is at its best, or one of the times it's at its best, uh, is when you get a blend of personal issues, sports entertainment, and just good old-fashioned wrestling. Uh, and this was it. It played wonderfully off of the, the previous two matches. Um, the wrestled according to the storyline, I thought. Um, I'm having a really hard time thinking of a better Jericho match um, off the top of my head. Like, he is on, um, and this is not... I know he's really good this night, but I wouldn't have thought that like this might be the best that he ever is on one single night. Um, that all said, I went the full five on this. I kept trying to talk myself out of it um, yeah. and find areas to to ding it, and I just couldn't do it. Um, it, it was a fantastic match uh, and a little bit of sprint, too. I mean, the action really died down. So full five for me. I uh, This match was awesome. I, I, I feel they pretty much went the same as they did the previous month. So I gave it just like JR a, uh, a four and a half. Um, just so good together. Just so good together. Uh, let's see your match time. By the way, the, uh, the scramble match time was 1446. This was 1542. This was rock. I mean, just amazing. And, uh, Jericho just has it down right now. And I mentioned Marcus, uh, on the last episode with Keithy about how I feel like Jericho, now again, we knew nothing about you know Sean Sean Michaels' future or whatever. Obviously, he's on hiatus at the moment after the loss to Taker. So you know they're not sure what his future is. But I feel like um, Jericho wants to kind of take the mantle as the guy that could that could be great in every match. Um, and I think that that's what he's trying to do. I think he's trying to make his matches that great every time out now this was not hard to do because ray is still pretty great but uh i think jericho's trying to be the next sean in the sense that i'll just make every match five stars and somebody try to top me i think i think jericho's getting that in his head um and that's why i think this match was so amazing and I, that's why i think this whole feud was so amazing uh four and a half stars um just incredible storytelling from two guys who get it um I wanted to give it five stars, Marcus. I just it. I didn't feel it was better than the mat than the, the the match at Extreme Rules. 
uh, it was about the same. And that's fine. I mean, four and a half is four and a half. But just an amazing, amazing chemistry and storytelling from two guys who get it. And again, I think Jericho wants to be like the the staff show off like Shawn Michaels. Still is, but mostly was. All right. Let's uh, roll along here. We get highlights of Donald Trump's commercial-free Raw, the argument between Trump and McMahon, and the negotiation of buyback Raw with Vince paying double. He would then fire Trump, and Trump slapped him in the face. As a result, Vince took out his anger on Randy Orton. Triple H is backstage getting his leg wrapped up. Jericho's backstage freaking out on Teddy Long, says he wants a rematch. Long gives him shit and shuts down his whining. He says he didn't survive five years as GM by giving in to selfish stars. We then get a video package for our next match, which is Dolph Ziggler taking on the great Kali Scott. How do we get to this interesting matchup? Uh, well, <laughs> I totally forgot about this match. On the 612 SmackDown, uh, Ziggler defeated Kali by countout after shoving Runjan Singh into Kali on the floor. Uh, on the 619 SmackDown, Ziggler defeated Kali again by DQ when the ref caught Kali with a chair after he knocked it out of Ziggler's hands. On the 622 Raw, Kali teamed with Jeff Hardy and Rey Mysterio to defeat Ziggler, Chris Jericho, and Edge in a six-man tag. On the 625 Superstars, uh, th this match was made as Ziggler said that everyone would remember his name when he breaks Kali. And on the 626 SmackDown, it was announced the match at the pay-per-view would be no DQ. So pretty straightforward. Quite the feud here. Ziggler's been playing games and outsmarting Kali on his climb up the ladder. No DQ or count out as Kali and Singh march out. Ziggler sticks and moves to start, but Kali slings him down and chops the shit out of him. Kali flips Ziggler to the floor. He follows out, but he ends up chopping the post. Ziggler starts to hustle and attack the arm and hand, including a nice drop kick off the apron. But Kali just steps up and slaps the shit out of him again. Ziggler grabs a chair, but Kali slugs it back to his face. Ziggler takes out the knee, hits a rocker dropper for two, grabs the front chancery and cranks away. Kali shoves him off, but Kane comes out and Kali gets distracted, allowing Ziggler to batter his knee with a chair. Ziggler bails. Kane gets the chair and smashes Kali in a pretty brutal assault. Kane leaves and Ziggler covers to win. Uh, Scott, this is kind of a sneaky, fun match. It was well-built. Ziggler was in full-on worker mode, bumping around, hitting some creative offense. Kali's slaps were pretty sick. They kept it tight, too. A good little big little match. Kane ruins the shit as usual. Uh, cut us off just as we're heating into a finish. It was unneeded nonsense. Uh, but I thought the rest of it was pretty good. I think Ziggler winning clean would have been awesome. Uh, or even if he used a chair, but something just on his own. Would have been a good capper. But as is, I went a surprising two and a half. <laughs> I like this quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I gave it two, and for me, that's pretty impressive considering what I thought, what I remembered when I first uh, realized this match was on here. Uh, you're right about the time, four fifty nine, which mm -hmm. is just perfect length. Um, I th I thought Dolph should have probably won clean too. I did. I thought the Kane stuff was unnecessary. Um, ba baby, yeah, baby face Kali is fun. <laughs> I don't know, it's something different. Um, yeah, I uh. I, yeah, it was. It, it served its purpose. It, it was. It, it was a good slot on the card. I don't know. What, Kane is in a weird place in two thousand nine. Like, it's really not much for him to do. I mean, he obviously, you know, everybody goes through cycles, and this is Kane's like off year for oh nine. He would end up having a more active two thousand ten. Um, but other than that, I mean, at least it was less than five minutes, Marcus, by a second. But this was fine. It was surprisingly entertaining. Uh, it didn't stink to join out, and uh, Dolph probably should have got a clean win here. 
Yeah, I don't think you need to uh, protect the great Kali says in uh, in 2009 at this point. But I think it's a really good example of um, like good booking being contagious on the SmackDown brand during this time. I think SmackDown uh, as a whole is on like a sneaky like nine to ten month like really hot stretch. Um, not as hot as like 2002 or some others years, but um, even like you see like this is like a, a way lower. Uh, lower end feud on SmackDown, but like the build is really solid. Everything makes sense. Um, and, and you get Ziggler squeaking out a win. So like, even though I'd prefer him getting a, a clean win, um, at least it sets up something moving forward with Kane and Kali and you get Ziggler getting the win and you got to think a big win like that over the great Kali, no DQ on pay-per-view, um, his third win in the row over Kali. Uh, he's got to be in line, I think to, um, possibly challenge for the intercontinental title moving forward especially with our new intercontinental champion um so i think it's just like really good booking on the smackdown side so i went two and a half backstage vince greets teddy long into some grandstanding and apologizes for the probation and frame of mind after the trump stuff vince says he heard teddy brag though about being the longest running gm in history but he's accomplished nothing how did bischoff Heyman, regal and adam lee all brought more to the table's leaders Long has no leadership skills, and if he and Vince run a foxhole together out of boredom and depression, Vince would shoot himself. The only thing Teddy has for entertainment <laughs> is his dancing, but he's got no rhythm, and he's still on probation. Ouch. This, Teddy's having a brutal night. <laughs> Complete dressing down. Uh, but Teddy's going to step up in a moment because our next match is for the tag team title, Scott. The Colognes taking on Legacy. How did we get to this one? Well, uh, on the 6-8 Raw, uh, Legacy defeated the Colognes in a non-title match. On the 6-15 Raw, the Colognes defeated the Hart Dynasty by DQ, and Legacy got involved, and it was announced Legacy would challenge for the unified titles at the pay-per-view. On the 6-22 Raw, the Colognes cut a promo on Legacy, and Rhodes, uh, would defeat, Rhodes would defeat Primo in a singles match. So at the moment, JR, it is the Colognes versus Legacy. But as you're going to mention now, uh, things change. Well, the clones come out to silence. Uh, unified tag champions is complete silence. Ah! It's a rare tag match on pay-per-view. Rose and DiBiase are next looking smarmy as always. Teddy Long then comes out and reveals there's now a third team in the match. And that brings out Edge and Chris Jericho. The two guys bitching about wanting another match. Here we go. Michael Cole talks about Teddy caving to pressure as we get going. Carlito and DiBiase start. The Colognes tag and work together. All six tag in. They establish a stip. The Colognes regain control and work over DiBiase and pick up near falls. Jericho tries to tag in, but DiBiase tags him right out. Legacy gets control now. They work efficiently with tags, keeping Primo in the corner, battering him with strikes. Edge finally gets a tag and tries to attack, but DiBiase tags him right out again, and Legacy's on top. Pace slows down as Legacy refuses to tag out, allow any tags outside of their own team, which is smart. Cody hooks a modified gory special submission, but Edge just comes in and breaks it up. Primo finally tags Carlito and meets Cody with a flurry. Edge sneaks in the tag. Carlito's confused as Edge comes in and spears him and wins the titles for him and Jericho. Uh, pretty well done finish. I like that Edge and Jericho did nothing <laughs> but steal the win. Uh, smart effort as other teams tried to keep them out. Uh, but a new heel super team is on top. We'll see if it elevates the tag titles after they've been pretty dormant with the clones uh, who felt a little bit out of their depth overall. Legacy's got to regroup and mix things up. Marcus, it went two and three quarters. Yeah, so it's um, it was during this match that I realized that we are entering slowly but surely the downstate era of WWE themes uh, mm -hmm. here, in, here in that legacy theme. Um, so that, that gave me some flashbacks. 
not not mad about it. Um, Carlito absolutely rocks because during this time period, which is um, a time period where everybody's like really job scared in WWE because there's only one major place to work. Mm-hmm. Carlito is not. Uh, he comes out given zero cares. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's wearing what I like mm-hmm. to call a sick shirt. Um, looks like he has a 102 degree fever uh, and Vicks flu rub all over his chest. Um, he, he's seen better days, but it <laughs> also rocks. Like yeah, He does not care at all um, during this time period. Um, and then watching the match, um, and it's something that always struck me about Ted DiBiase Jr., um, he does a leg control fireman's carry uh, early on, and that's kind of like a lucha move. And also the way like he goes over the top rope to the floor, he has the body control of a luchador. And I remember that uh, in a couple a couple years later, Sin Cara is going to be like a TV program for him while they're trying to get Sin Cara accustomed uh, to working on the roster. Um, so like really interesting, like where Teddy uh, picked up all these lucha tricks. Mm. Um, they're just just a, an off hand thing I noticed during the match. Um, but this is a brilliant job of Edge and Jericho making less mean more um, really built up to the finish. So I went three stars uh, just off the back of really the character work there of uh, Jericho and Edge and the star power carrying that. Yeah, I gave this a two and a half. I am very pleased uh, with one thing. Uh, the match is 937, but we talked at the on the last show, JR with Keithy, about Edge and Batista and about, oh my God, these guys get title shots again and again. Well, uh, the Batista situation worked itself in an unfortunate way, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Edge is now out of the uh, world title picture and now is in a perfectly good spot, both him and Jericho, as just smarmy, you know, asshole tag team champions, which is probably what the tag division needs. You know, I don't, you know, we've we've never been throughout the years, not many are proponents, you know, the whole two singles guys as tag team champions because mm. that fucks with the tag division. This is one case where it probably is almost a necessity. The tag division is not great at the moment. Um, as you said, the colognes come out to practically, you know, crickets. Um, so maybe having these two, you know, unscrupulous, selfish pricks as, as tag team champions uh, is probably a good thing. And and have these other tag teams chasing them is probably not a bad idea. So I had no problem with this decision. Worked out fine. Uh, I know a lot of people probably think Legacy should be the tag team champions because it looks, you know, it makes Legacy look better. But eh, that's okay. Uh, you know, Cody and DiBiase can, you know, they got other things going on very soon. They'll get their moment to be elevated. Um, so I don't think they'll have a problem with that. But. I thought this was a great decision. Good choice to give these two guys something to do, kind of air out the other titles for other people. So I'm totally fine with it. Nice win. Nice addition. Uh, smart booking choice here to have these guys win. All right. Legacy's backstage are scuffling. Come up to Orton, who tells him not to worry about what happened because they need to help him keep his title. DiBiase's not happy about that one, but Orton says he doesn't care if they tag champions. He has more important things to do. DiBiase says Orton doesn't care about them, that it was henchmen, and they deserve to be on top. DiBiase uh, let it go when Orton kicked him in the head because he wanted to be a star. DiBiase tells him good luck and storms off as Cody tries to cool things down. Brings us to our next match, which is Michelle McCool taking on Melina Scott. How did this one come about? Well, uh, for the women's uh, championship here, let's see. 
On the 6-12 SmackDown, McCool and Layla defeated Melina and Eve Torres in a tag match when McCool pinned Melina. On the 6-19 SmackDown, this match was made as Melina defeated Fox in a match only for McCool to attack her afterwards, and she vowed to embarrass Melina at the pay-per-view. On the 6-26 SmackDown, McCool and Fox defeated Melina and Gail Kim in a tag match. And here we are. Melina sashays out with the title, followed by Michelle and her buddy Alicia Fox. Good to see the women's title back on pay-per-view after this recent bullshit with Santina that we've been dealing with. JR struggles to say the women are hotter now than in the past as we get going. Michelle tosses some strikes to get going as Melina counters a choke into a DDT, comes slugging away. Michelle breaks her down and works the leg with strikes using the post and steps. Michelle puts Melina on her knee, pulls her leg back, pushing her foot against the back of her head, which always looks nasty. Melina comes back with some elbows, slips out of a faith breaker with a Rana and a running knee for two. We get some back and forth into Michelle putting Melina on the top rope, but Melina shoves her off and flies into her with a bulldog. She's slow to cover because of the leg. Alicia helps Michelle survive. Michelle fights through and hits a faith breaker to win the title. Uh, fine match. I thought it was a simple story. Kept tight, given some time to not feel too short. Alicia pays off at ringside, and the Michelle super push rolls on. Good on Melina putting her over strong, and the leg work was solid too, Scott. Two and a half stars for me. Uh, I give this two and a quarter. Uh, I thought it was fine. Um, uh Molina was a good champion. Michelle McCool, obviously up and coming six and a half minutes, six thirty-four your match time. Uh, I mean, I, there's not much to say here. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, I think Michelle McCool is a good worker. I think Molina has become a better worker. So the, uh, in spite of all that, you know, her, you know, uh, Santina and the Guerreros and the pig slop and all that fucking shit getting in the way, the women's division is secretly still very good. And we still have some mm -hmm. great workers like, uh, Michelle and like uh, Melina, Mickey James and, and Beth Phoenix, the women's division is still, is still pretty good. Um, even though we have to deal with all this other crap, which thank God kind of goes away, but I had no problem with this. Uh, it was a fine match, Marcus, uh, you know, Michelle McCool winning is fine. Um, and the women's division is still pretty good, even though uh, deep down, you don't see it on screen as much as you need to. Yeah, I got pretty excited uh, watching this because I was a pretty big Michelle McCool fan. Um, and I know she's going to have um, a, a big year um, uh, with the uh, with the title coming up. So uh, this was a cool match to see. And, and I didn't know that like this is where this run really started. Uh, so it was a cool surprise. Uh, Melina, I thought, carried herself really well. Uh, she looks like a pro in there. Uh, my only other note is, uh, is Todd Grisham has no idea what 10 yards is. During the entrance, <laughs> he says Alicia Fox is about 10 yards back of uh, Michelle McCool, and she can't be more than like 10 feet. Um, and uh, we get a faith breaker, uh, which uh, mm -hmm. I will take over the Styles Clash any day, uh, just given the uh, the height dynamics there. Uh, two and three quarters for me. I thought uh, I thought they cooked with the little amount of time that they had. I get a video package for our next match, which is a rematch from the cash in. On our last pay-per-view, and that is Jeff Hardy challenging CM Punk, trying to win his world championship back. Scott, what's going on with these two dudes since the cash-in? Well, uh, let us see. There uh, we go. On the 612 SmackDown, Punk cut a promo saying no one was mad when he cashed in on Edge the previous year and defended his actions at Extreme Rules. And he vowed to bring honor and respect back to the title when Hardy came out. He said that he wouldn't complain about what happened, though said Punk didn't earn it, and Punk said he was going to cash in no matter who was champion, 
and Hardy demanded a title match. Edge would come out and say he had the first shot as he claimed Punk was trying to be like him, and Hardy would knock Edge off the apron and gave Punk the twist of fate and the swanton. GM Teddy Long announced Edge and Hardy would face off in the main event to face Punk at the next Raw, and the match ended in a no contest when Punk interfered, and Long declared Punk would face both in a triple threat match. On that 615 Raw, Punk would win that triple threat when he pinned Edge to retain the title, and Long would announce Punk would face Hardy at the pay-per-view here. On the 619 SmackDown, Hardy cut a promo reviewing what happened at Extreme Rules and Raw when Punk interrupted, as he said, he did what he had to do to win, and Josh Matthews asked the fans to cheer for both men, though they would end up booing Punk. Later that night, Punk defeated Rey Mysterio when Chris Jericho got involved, and Hardy confronted Punk after the match, only for Punk to walk away. On the 622 Raw, Hardy teamed with Rey Mysterio and the great Khali to defeat Chris Jericho, Edge, and Dolph Ziggler in a six-man tag. While Punk did commentary, and after the match, Punk raised Hardy's hand, only for Hardy to shove him away, and Punk held the title up to his face. And on the 625 SmackDown, Edge and Jericho defeated Hardy and Mysterio in a tag, with Punk as the guest ref. And after the match, Punk mockingly called for the fans to cheer for Jeff as he held the title up. Better and better. All right. Formal match for these guys after the cash-in. Punk has stayed true to his actions. Uh, saying that they were warranted, but definitely starting to show more edge and defiance here. Punk is stoic and focused as he comes out, followed by Hardy, who's moving a little bit less frantically, has no face paint tonight, as JR notes, which is a nice touch. The crowd is buzzing as we ease into a lockup. We get a clean break, continue to get some quick hits and regroups. Hardy grabs a side headlock. We continue to ebb back and forth, simple and focused. Punk misses a charge, ends up outside. Hardy meets it with a plancha. Hardy misses a springboard body block and bangs off the barricade. Punk rolls back in and gathers himself as Hardy barely beats the count. Punk cranks a head scissors, elbows away to wear down the challenger. Punk makes a couple of mistakes. He allows Hardy to hit the whisper off the top for two. Jared notes how much pain Hardy's in. It's affecting his usual attack. Hardy comes in with clotheslines and leg drops for two, but he heads up top and Punk bails out. Hardy hits him with a flying clothesline to the floor. And we head back inside. Punk counters a slinging dropkick with a GTS attempt, but Hardy hooks the ropes. Punk lands a kick and running knee and bulldog for two. Hardy pops up and hits a twist of fate and heads up top, but misses the swan tom. Hardy gets two on an inside cradle, but walks into a huge kick to the head. Punk loads the GTS, but Hardy slips out. It's a twist of fate and scampers up quickly. This time he hits the swan tom and wins back his world title. However, the ref starts waving things off. He points out that Punk's leg was under the rope and he missed it. So he restarts the match to booze. Punk loads another GTS, but Hardy slips free, bangs a hard back elbow. Punk is hurting and rolling around. The ref backs Hardy up, but Punk just steps up and kicks the ref for the DQ as he pretended like he was blinded. Just great heel bullshit. Hardy snaps after and assaults Punk with a madman attack, unable to be held back. Punk leaves and Hardy paces around. So all in all, this was a fine match. It was slower than you expect as Punk was trying to grind down Hardy. Hardy was banged up and selling it, so he wasn't as intense. Also, Punk worked a smart match, making uh, Hardy chase him as much as possible while trying to take him apart. Definitely felt like the first course of a longer meal, setting up a future stuff to come. Effective in a way that could be good in a vacuum. I don't think we needed the dusty finish. Early just kind of pissed off the crowd, but it did get, give Hardy a clear complaint for a rematch. It also shows that Punk has good presence and heel tendencies as he shifts his character to becoming obsessed with keeping the belt. Uh, throttled down, but it felt like it was throttled down for a reason, Marcus, and I went three and a half stars on the match. Um, so it was during this match that I realized um, something about Punk's trunks. Um, I know he had the Chicago colors on, um, but it triggered my memory. 
uh, to remind me that I also had, um, while I was watching this with Tim, we had another TV going. And this is the night, JT, you should remember this, that uh, Mariano Rivera picked up his 500 save. All right, very good. And well, mm. we defeated the Mets that night. Um, but uh, besides that, I thought JR was excellent during this match, and he was mm-hmm. also excellent during the uh, Jericho Mysterio match. Uh, and bring it back to baseball, it's kind of like that 2017 Sabathia season um, where he kind of finds it again. I felt like JR really added a lot uh, to the two major matches from SmackDown on this card. Though this was a great clash of styles. Um, and Punk really wrestling at a slower pace, um, really making you want Jeff Hardy to pick up the action, and then they do, and then they get to the finish, uh, or so we think. And in the build-up to this, like every week, Punk does something, and it's just a little thing, and it's just like, oh, you kind of beat a dick, man. And the next week, it's eh, he says something like, oh, there, nowhere in the contract does it say that I can't cash in on Jeff Hardy. Like every week he just says or does something that like it just colors him in a little bit more every single week. Uh-huh. Um, and the eye poke here and the kick to the ref and, you know, kind of kind of see him smiling a little bit. Um, it's really exciting looking back at it because he hadn't been healed yet. And being on SmackDown, where they tend to give town a little bit more leash to be themselves um, and take a little bit more control of their character, um, you knew he could do something really special if they gave him the opportunity. So I know I'm trending high on this, but I went four and a quarter. Um, This is also during like peak Jeff Hardy. And I mean, he's just the man during this era. So this is just kind of like two ships passing at the the perfect time. Um, uh, So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I did as well. Fifteen oh one, your match time. Uh, this was a ton of fun. I gave it. I gave it uh, three and a half. Um, I, I agree, Marcus. That again, you couldn't be as drastic, and Punk could not be as drastic with you know the heel switch. But but you know not like as drastic as he would you know in his Ring of Honor run, which I mentioned on the last show. Uh, but it's pretty easy to be hated when you're going against Jeff Hardy. So mm-hmm. Punk didn't have to work very hard to be a great heel because he was working with at the moment, the ultimate babyface. The match was great. Um, I feel like these two would be better suited for a gimmick. So I, I wasn't expecting a gangbusters match, but a good solid back and forth that would lead to better things. And I, and I think that's what we're going to get. Um, this didn't come close to the Hardy Edge match, although that that involving ladders, you know, doesn't hurt. Uh, but this was fine. I think Punk was great. I think it is the little things that he knows what to do. I think that's just Punk psychology at the time. Uh, Jeff was fine. I thought this was a great match, and I think this is a good feud. And this proves that the company's trying to trust new guys at the top of the card with Batista. Mm-hmm. Well, we we'll we'll talk about what happened to Batista in a few minutes, but uh, and and. Uh, edge now in the tag division this is a great opportunity to start putting new guys in and giving punk and giving these guys their opp- the opportunity to shine and and stretch themselves out uh and and make themselves work you made a perfect point marcus smackdown was usually the the brand where you could kind of sow your oats and this is exactly what they're doing so I, I thought this was a great match a lot of fun um i knew we'd get a little schmozzy and uh the good thing is more is to come all right, the colognes are in the back. They're complaining to Teddy. He says he was just doing what Vince told him to do, and he's done talking. The colognes can fuck off. 
Uh, big <laughs> night for Teddy here. Uh, Orton is pacing backstage. He tries to make a call, but he gets Cody's voicemail and asks him where they are and demands that he call him back. We see Adelita's way and Rev Theory performing in the parking lot from earlier today as Cole and King reset and send us a video package for our next match, which is John Cena taking on The Miz, Scott. How did uh, Miz get this quick glow up to face John Cena? Jesus, what is, what is this all about? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, on the 427 Raw, Miz challenged Cena to a match, though Cena never came out, and Miz would declare himself the winner. And in the weeks that followed, he would continue to challenge Cena, who would never come out for whatever reason, and Miz would continue to claim to be undefeated against Cena. On the 6-8 Raw, Miz cut a promo about Cena not answering his challenges as Cena came out to face him, but the big show would come out and attack Cena only for Miz to attack both men with a chair. On the 6-15 Raw, he inter- Miz interrupted Goldust and Hornswoggle shooting t-shirts into the crowd as he wanted to tell Donald Trump that he was the new face of Raw, and Goldust would insult the Miz who attacked Goldust and he would shoot Hornswoggle with the t-shirt gun. I forgot about that. On the 6-22 Raw, Cena cut a promo and called Miz out as he said that they would face off at the pay-per-view, and he brought up being booed out of the arena, uh, being booed out of arenas, and was still around as he would prove Miz was a never-was. Wow, only for Miz to get a cheap shot in. Later that night, Miz would cost Cena a match against Show and taunted him after the match. So Miz kind of forced Cena's hand to get to this point. Big come up for the Miz, trying desperately to become a star. Good story here. Kind of a classic one we've seen a few times throughout wrestling history. We see the bands from earlier front row as Miz stalks out, ready for his big match. Cena comes out with a smirk. It's a split reaction. Cena controls early, tossing Miz around and cranking on him. Miz tries to rattle Cena, but Cena's more aggravated. Chases him around until Miz baits him in and neck snaps him across the top rope to take over. Miz gets two on a top rope axe handle and a near fall and a suplex. He works through some simple offense, targeting the head and neck. Miz lays in some punches until Cena comes roaring back with a shoulder blocks and a side slam. The mixed reaction is heavy as Cena hits the five-knuckle shuffle and finishes Miz with the attitude adjustment. Uh, a very simple match, just meant to give Miz a spot and some shine. He wasn't really ready for much more than that. Cena gets an easy night. He finishes Miz to show the glaring difference of position, which is fine, and whatever. Cena dominates, squash, two and a quarter, Scott. Uh... I gotta be. Uh, I gave this two stars. I. Uh, what was your time? Five thirty nine. Uh, I was not crazy about this. I kind of thought that Miz should have got a cheapy little win. I don't. Oh, I don't really? like this. Is these are the I kind of things that area, Yeah, these. Well, uh, I don't even know why you bother. Then I mean, I don't know. I just feel like this is kind of a. I don't know. It's a showcase. It's a challenge. Like, okay, step up and take a shot. And now he's not ready yet. So, I mean, mean, to me, that's what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was just the way Cena looked at the time. I I don't know. I was expecting maybe something a little more. Uh, Obviously, Miz is still with his dopey clothes, you know, his dopey pants and the stupid fedora and all that shit. He hasn't, quote, grown up yet, maybe. Maybe that's why. Uh, He just didn't look the part. That'll change in 2010. Um, Yeah, I guess it's just to get Cena on the show and get a cheap win, Marcus. I'll leave it at that. Uh, we are dealing with green shirt, green wristbands, green headband Cena, which <laughs> is the deadliest of all versions of John Cena, full DeathCon 5. Yeah. Um, I, I went I went two and a quarter. Uh, I do think it is good booking on the Raw side here because uh, you had Cena wrapping up from Edge and Big Show, uh, the previous pay-per-views. 
And here you've had Miz kind of working on this program while that's all been going on. So you right. can just like add John Cena and stir. Um, and you get like a kind of a free pay-per-view match here out of Cena. Um, I, I, my only complaint I think is I would have moved this match to after the Ziggler Kali match to give Jericho a little bit more of a breather and then just double stack the, the two world title matches at the end of the card. Um, but yeah, small complaint, uh, two and a quarter for me. All right, we get our video package for our main event, which is Triple H back at it, taking on Randy Orton. Scott, what's up with this? Well, this seems very rando, but we'll see why. Rando for Randy. On the 6-8 Raw, Batista cut a promo on winning the WWE title the night before, only for Legacy to attack him, and they would injure his arm with a chair, and Batista was taken away in an ambulance. Orton would then declare he would invoke his rematch clause that night, whether Batista was ready or not, and GM Vicky Guerrero declared that Batista would lose the title by forfeit if he didn't appear. Uh, in the main event, Orton was in the ring, and the ref counted Batista out only for the ambulance to return as Triple H came out of it, and he would come to the ring with a sledgehammer and took Legacy out with it. On the 611 Superstars, it was announced Triple H, Orton, John Cena, and The Big Show would face off in a fatal four-way to crown a new WWE champion. Uh, on the 615 uh, Raw, Orton defeated Triple H, show and Cena to become number one, uh, to become WWE champion again. And Vince McMahon announced a battle royal later that night to determine who would face Orton at the pay per view. And in the main event, Triple H would win the battle royal, though Donald Trump would appear and announce Triple H and Orton would face off the next week in a last man standing match. On the 622 Raw, Vince would eject Legacy from the arena and told Orton the match at the pay-per-view would be a three stages of hell, as he told him that the stipulations would be. Later that night, Triple H and Orton competed in a last man standing, which ended when both men couldn't answer the 10 count at the end of the night. Triple H attacked Orton backstage and slammed a car trunk on his back as he vowed to take Orton to hell at the pay-per-view. The reality was, of course, that uh, Batista legitimately was injured. Mm-hmm in the cage at extreme rules and had to forfeit the title. So my point was before Jr. and I to on our last episode about, Oh my God, edge and Batista always get title matches. Well, just don't have to worry about that right now. Because <laughs> edge right. is tag team champion and Batista tore a muscle that, you know, usually a tradition like no other. Batista exactly. Tore a muscle. Tearing, <laughs> Batista, a tradition like no other Batista tearing muscles only on CBS. So, <laughs> All right, another go round in this blood feud has been raging for two years, pretty much with variances in intensity. Or is hanging on to the goal, but Legacy's a mess. Hunter's charging hard. Orton saunters out with the three for the three stages, looking shook. Hunter's out, ripped and ready for revenge. First falls a straight match. Hunter brings the heat with punches, knees, and clotheslines. Keeps hammering away. Hunter pours it on, dumping Orton outside. Brings him back in with a suplex. Orton nails the knee. Takes over with a focus on the leg. Hunter fights through it. Gets a spine buster, but he's very hobbled. And Orton snaps off a backbreaker. Hunter rolls outside, gets a chair, and batters Orton with it for the disqualification. So Hunter hands Orton the first fall, but he's now weakened him with the chair attack. We'll see if the strategy pays off. Hunter drops a chair after the barrage, and we head outside. And Hunter hits a pedigree and quickly wins the second fall. So the strategy pays off, and we're in our final fall already. The officials bring out the stretcher. And away we go. Hunter puts Orton on the stretcher, wheels it, and gets close. But Orton slips off and kicks the stretcher into Hunter's injured leg, clips the knee. They spill into the crowd where Orton keeps hammering away all the way to the back of the arena. Hunter recovers and throws Orton back to ringside. Orton slings him into the barricade, backdrops him on it after pulling the cover off, and then shoots him into the steps. Back inside, Orton hoists the steps, but Triple H uh, 
trips him up and falls back into them. Hunter uses the steps again and then loads up the stretcher. Orton blocks, so Hunter jumps on, and they punch until the stretcher rolls down the ramp and tips them off. They're slow to get up in the aisle, sticking moves, and then struggling to follow up. Hunter dodges a punt, and Orton kicks a stretcher, but he's able to backdrop Hunter onto it. Hunter survives. They brawl on the stage until Hunter hits a pedigree. Slowly puts him on the stretcher. Starts to push, but Cody comes out and blocks it and beats down Hunter. Hunter fights him off, but DiBiase shows up and saves the boss again. Legacy assaults Triple H. He pulls out a sledgehammer from under the stretcher, smashes Cody and DiBiase. Orton pops up and kicks Hunter low, hits him with a piece of the stage, and Hunter collapses on the stretcher, and Orton drags it across the finish line and retains his title. Hunter beats down Orton with a sledgehammer and, and uh, stands tall after the match. And it's a pretty solid main event. It was slow-paced credit for the unique structure to do something different with the falls and show some strategy. They have chemistry, but it's just been a lot of them over two years. Like, it can only mix things up so much. Hopefully, this is it. They both need to get away from each other. The legacy save was good. Hunter is hosed again. Orton rolls on, and we'll see where he goes from here, Marcus. I went three and a quarter. This is very good. Not great, but uh, a fine main event. I'm right there with you. Three and a quarter for me. I feel like if the booking had been different, if Orton had retained at WrestleMania um, and, uh, you know, Triple H gets caught at Backlash with the punt and that takes him out, then here he finally gets his hands on Orton, right? And he can exercise all those demons. And then he can make a mistake by getting too aggressive, leaving an opening for Orton. And Orton can still retain, right? But Triple H still stands tall, uh, getting his physical vengeance. But um, that's not the way they went. They're clearly out of gas, I think. Um, and I think this is kind of like on the lower, definitely the lower end, the 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 floor of what these two can do. Um, Orton's bumping and selling is so good. Um, and I think because it's not as bombastic as uh, some other people, it doesn't get noticed. But um, I thought that that really carried this matchup too. So yeah, three and a quarter for me. Uh, I give this a three and a half. I thought it was, I thought it was good. Uh, obviously not the match they anticipated for this week, for this month. I'm, I'm guessing Triple H was probably not supposed to come back for a while. Uh, but with Batista hurt, I guess he had no choice. Um, it was fine. I mean, like you said, we've seen tons of Triple H versus Orton over the last, you know, year and a half. Um, this was fine. Uh, I mean, obviously Triple H was involved in the greatest three stages of hell match ever. This was not it. Um, but it was fine. Uh, Orton needs to stay champion. We all know where, you know, who's the next guy that Orton will face. We all know who that's going to be. Um, and as the year progresses and we start getting into the second half of 2009 and, uh, into 2010, we will see that the roster seems very imbalanced. Um, main event, the, the middle, the mid card looks, seems to look fine. A lot of talent there but I feel like the main event is now rotating around like four guys mm -hmm. and that's a problem. So, um, but for now Orton stays champion, which is fine. I feel like he's still a great heel and I still feel like he's hot in that aspect, but uh, the cooling off happens very quickly because guess what? A familiar foe. Um, but you know, it's a fine main event and Orton should have kept the title and he did. And uh, you know, it was a fine, it was a fine end to a fine show really all you could say all right let's get to our awards wrap things up uh mvp at tonight i went ray mysterio i thought he was awesome in that match with jericho and ended up with the win 
Um, it was kind of, it felt like his match. I mean, Jericho was awesome too, but it was, it was Ray's moment. Uh, I agree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give the nod to Jericho. All right. Okay. Uh, LVP, I went with Kane. Um, I don't know. He ruined that match, which I did not appreciate. Yeah, I don't say why why he was needed. I don't see why he didn't just we just didn't have a clean finish. It was and strange. I kind of liked it where it was headed. Like he just kind of came out and fucked it up. And honestly, no one else really stunk on the show. <laughs> Everyone else is pretty good. So yeah, that's true. Yep. Sorry, Mayor Kane. <laughs> uh, best match, uh, obviously, Mysterio Jericho. Uh, totally. Great hundred percent. Worst match, uh, Cena Miz for me. Same for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I gave that a two. I mean, I gave Kali Ziegler a two, but I'm gonna go Cena Miz because I just didn't like the finish. Okay. Uh, best moment, I went with Mysterio in the double mask in the win. Yeah, that was that was awesome. That was awesome. Let me get Marcus. Yep, nope, I agree with you. Okay. All right, surprise of the night was Eric, uh, Erico. I guess that's a couple name. Edge and Jericho winning the tag team titles. <laughs> Edge and go. Yeah, no, obviously it was because you didn't see that coming. Nope. Yeah, I agree. All right, and final grade, I went six and a half. Uh, a little below last month was still a very solid show. Nothing bad. Just all very strong. And then the all-time classic with uh, Mysterio and Jericho on top of it. You know, I, I know we had a four and a half, but I haven't had this many like sub three matches in a while. I mean, I had a two and a half, a couple two and a half, so two, two twos. Uh, that I think overwhelms this four and a half. So I'm going to give it a six. Uh, I thought it was a very lukewarm show. It didn't stink, but it has not been as good as a lot of the other pay-per-views this calendar year. Um, and I think, we're starting to get a little leery of the of what is coming on the horizon for um, the pay-per-views for the rest of the year and how the you know the creative is going to look because most of 2009 so far has been really awesome but uh, this show was very lukewarm it didn't suck but it wasn't great so it was just slightly above average so six for me six and a half for me um, but I think to the show's credit. Whenever I want to watch like 2009 WWE, this is the first show that I put on. Like hmm. something about this show is very re- uh, rewatchable for me. Um, you know, you get surprise angle with uh, Jericho and Edge. You get two really good matches. I mean, you get the the all timer um, with uh, with Jericho and Mysterio, and everything else is is all right. Um, so yeah, six and a half for me. But I think it's a very rewatchable show. All right, so that'll do it. Another one in the book. Scott will be back in two weeks' time with Night of Champions 09. And then a month from today, we'll be dropping SummerSlam. So cruising right through 09. Be sure yes. to check out everything we have to offer at all of our family of networks uh, right here on this very feed. PlayStation Wrestling, PlayStation Pop Experience, and the North-South Connection Podcast Network. Follow us on our social media across all the channels for the latest updates uh, over on the YouTube. For North-South Connection, you can subscribe as well and get notified of all our new content which we would appreciate. So, for Marcus, Scott, I'm Justin. We're out. Talk to you soon. Everyone take care. Peace.